We've been in a series, we've been in a series called Let's Eat. How many have enjoyed the series? I'm telling you, it has blessed me. Today's the last teaching in the teaching Let's Eat. And today, uh, nobody's cooking. It's going to be takeout. Somebody's cooking. Uh, <laughs> may not be you, but somebody is cooking, right? And so today it's takeout. What, what is it in all of this, the overarching thing? When we're talking about families, we're talking about marriage, we're talking about children, we're talking about children's relationship to marriage, we're talking about blended families, we talked about everything. If there's one big takeaway from this, what do we need to take away? And I want you to go with me to Joshua 24, verse 15. Remember the background. For those of you, listen, go listen to the whole series, okay? We're talking takeout today, but listen to the whole series if you didn't get all the installments. Because Joshua, remember, he's getting ready. He's coming to the end of his life. The people of God are now in the land flowing with milk and honey. They're prospered. They're doing great. They're blessed. A lot of great things God's doing for them. And he's leaving the final word. He's leaving a word not as a commander-in-chief, not as a great warrior. He's talking as a dad, as a parent, and he speaks to the nation and to his own kids. And he declares this. If you want to see that blessing, that favor of God, he tells them, chapter 24, verse 15. Look what he says. Choose for yourselves. So first of all, this is not your dad's decision, your papa's decision, your pastor's decision. It's your decision. It's your, why do people blame other people for the choices they make? I still don't get it. He says, choose for yourselves today. So you're never too late. You're never too late. You're 83 years old, sir, and you feel like you've wasted your life. It's never too late. Today can change everything. Choose for, you to, to, choose for yourselves today whom you will serve. Whether the gods which your father served. So we know we've got some history here. There's something in the spiritual gene pool that he's exposing. Whether the gods which your father served, which were beyond the river. Or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you were living. So you're still under the pressure of the world. But then he declares this, and everybody, let's declare it out loud together. Come on, let's declare it out loud. Join me. Everyone, even at home, come on, join me. Let's do it together. He says, but as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. And it all starts with me. When you get into counseling sessions, it's always about my spouse. I'm not denying that they might have issues. But I will guarantee you, everything always starts with me before it starts with my house and my spouse. He talks about me. So when we started this out, remember part one, the very first thing we talked about, we talked about uh, the recipe. Why does God have marriage? Why does he have family? And what we discovered is, is God wanted to create a portrait of himself. So guess what he did? <laughs> he created your marriage. That was his intention for marriage. That's how we win an unbelieving world is that we understand that I bear the image of God. And so the way I treat my husband, I should treat him as one that bears the image of God. He created us both male and female in his image. We can't even get that one straight in our culture. 
Now, now watch. Even that one's being convoluted and distorted. But he says, I want to create an image of myself. This is why it's so important. Because every man, every woman, every race bears the image of God himself. What you don't know is you are an image bearer. And what I have to realize is that the way I relate to Brenda and the way Brenda relates to me is God trying to create a portrait for my kids, for my grandkids, for people in my community, for the church. It is to show the image of God. And he's constantly changing Brenda and me daily from day to day into the image of God. So what? If, so if he's doing it in us, how many know he's doing it in you? So this is what God wants. And this is why Satan's attacking. What, you know, people say, I just don't understand why there's such an attack on marriage, on identity, and all this stuff. Why is this attack coming on us, Pastor? It's because Satan knows every time he looks at a person finding their identity in God, it beats the hound of him. All he is reminded of, of God and God's image. Every time he sees you in relationship with your wife or your husband, in harmony and in peace with the word of God, it reminds him of the image of God who defeated and destroyed him. Every time you kiss your wife, can I tell you, you're beating the devil's brains in. Every time you hold your husband's hand and you cook him that great meal, it beats the devil's brains in. Every time you forgive your husband, it beats the devil's brains in. Every time you gotta pick up his dirty underwear and say, God help him, can I tell you, it beats the devil's brains in. See, what people don't understand is, is the more that I am like him, I take care of me, then the world sees a portrait of whether I'm married, whether I'm single. So first Satan wants to attack me, my identity, Sam Reifkogel, and then he wants to attack my spouse, and then he wants to go over after my house. So here's where it all begins. If you want to take the family series, you say, well, I'm not married. Let me tell you, just take marriage out of it. It all begins with you. This whole thing circles back, let's eat, to what about me? I must love and honor God first and God most. It's not in your app, but go ahead and put it down. Those of you at home, just go ahead and write it down. I have to love God first and most. So why is that so important? Here's the deal. If you look at anybody's marriage that looks healthy, that honors God, you say, I want a marriage to be like that. Let me tell you why it's that way. Because when you honor God most, you will honor others more. Can I say this again? When you honor God first and most, let me tell you what's naturally going to happen to you. You will start honoring others more. And I'm not talking about just the people, honor the people you just like. I'm telling you, you have the ability to respect even an enemy. If you honor and love God more, do you know what? You'll never have a problem giving an offering to poor people. You will never have a hard time blessing someone poor. Because if you can honor God most, you can honor them more. You won't say things like get a job. You'll say, God, what can I do to empower this person to be more like you in some way? Are you all hearing this today? But the more I dishonor God, the more I'll dishonor other people. I'll disrespect them. I'll disrespect my wife. You'll disrespect your husband. You'll disrespect your parents. It's directly related to one thing. It's about you. 
honoring God first and honoring God most. If you will just take care of you honoring God most, you will naturally honor others more, including the person you're married to. Can somebody say amen or oh me? Now, why is this such a big deal? Why was Joshua going on this thing? Why He wasn't just some parent just ranting to be ranting. Why was he carrying on like this? Because Joshua understood that the favor that had come upon the people in his own family's life personally was directly related to this honoring of God. He knew it. He knew it. And he knew that when I get out from underneath that covenant, if I get out from underneath that blessing of God, he said, favor will begin to lift off of my life. And he knew it for the people. And he said, listen, I'm telling you before I die, please listen to me. As for me and my house, I can't do anything about you, but I know what I'm going to do. Honor God first, honor God most, and stay under his blessing. If I could put it this way, you need to be covered by God's covenant. You need to be covered by God's covenant. So look at Joshua's command. So I'm just going to back. I'm going to end this, and we're going to break down why Joshua was saying these things, okay? We're going to, we started with that and went through family, but I'm going to end it with why he was saying these things. So look, let me take you to verse 14 again. Joshua commands him. He says, put away forever. Everybody say forever. Everybody say forever, even at home. Forever. So what he's saying is once God gives you the power to walk away from something that's destroying you, please don't go back and pick it up again. Forever. (laughs) Put it away forever. Don't put the picture of your old boyfriend tucked away back in a drawer so just in case you can look at it and refresh your memory. Put it away forever. Okay? Look at pictures of him on Facebook. You'll want to pass him on now. Just... He says, put away forever the idols. Everybody say idols. Your ancestors worship. So that means there are people in the family that have messed this thing up. And you can put it straight. You can blame your mom. You can blame your dad. You can blame all this stuff and all the dysfunction of your family. But he says, you're the one that has the power to change this. You can change this in your family. You can do it. Look what he says. Forever the idols your ancestors worship. In other words, what he was saying like last week is you got to clean the plate. Now we'll look at verse 16. The people replied, we would never abandon the Lord or serve other gods. And they say that. Don't you like it when your kids respond to you with verbal affirmation of what you told them to do? But how many times have they said something to you and you were not satisfied with just the mental assent and the verbal response? So Joshua's a dad too. And he's not satisfied with the lip service the followers of God just gave him. Let's go to verse 20. Just, let's, just, let's just walk a little bit. Let's just look at their conversation here. He says, if you abandon the Lord and serve other gods, he will turn against you and destroy you even though he has been so good to you. Can I just stop there for a moment? There have been times in my life that I thought God signed off and approved on my disobedience and my idolatry simply because I still had blessing in my life. Just because you've got health in your body and money in your bank and you're still disobeying God's word is not his approval on your lifestyle or your sin because he's still good to you even when the spirit of stupid hits you and me. 
And I think that's the most, that's the most diluted way for believers to live, especially in America, is we are so prosperous because of the blessings of others that somehow we think God is okay with my foolishness, my sin, and my rank disobedience because I got money in the bank, I have a job, I got a degree, my kids seem to be doing well, and we think that's God's approval just because we're not in trouble. He says God will still bless you at times when you are still disobedient. What he's trying to tell you is God's a good God. He's a good God. Oh, just say it. He's a good God. Now look what they say to him. But the people answered Joshua, no, we will serve the Lord. Man, that must have been a great service, man. You are witnesses to your own decision, Joshua said. You have chosen to serve the Lord. Yes, they replied. We are witnesses to what we have said. All right then, Joshua said. You want to say it? Then here's what you need to do. Destroy the idols among you and turn your hearts to the Lord. Why would he have to say that statement? Because they have them. So that means you can buck and snort, shuck and jive, fall out of the power and still be dealing with sin in your heart. And still sense God's presence so you think he signed off on your disobedience. And turn your hearts to the Lord, the God of Israel. The people said to Joshua, we will serve the Lord our God. We will obey him alone. So Joshua made, watch this, so Joshua made a what everybody? A covenant with the people that day at Shechem, circle Shechem, that's a big deal. Listen, committing them to follow the decrees and the regulations of the Lord. Covenant is a big thing. You gotta get under covenant. I like uh, the book, called The Covenant by Jim, Jim Garlow, he says this, he says, a covenant is an all-encompassing agreement between two parties with clearly outlined perimeters and promises. The co- I mean, you know, there's, co- there's blessing when you get in covenant and partnership with God. Can I tell you, I am better today because I got in covenant in marriage with my wife. I would not be where I am today had God not put me in covenant with this lady right here. I probably wouldn't even be your pastor. So whenever God, listen, so so you got to see this. Whenever God wanted to officially establish something that he wanted to supervise, that he wanted to bless, he would make covenant with people. But that covenant God would make was always pointing to something better that was coming. So when you study the Bible, go read. He made a covenant with Abraham that that he would be the father of many nations and through it, God would bless the nations of the world. He made a a covenant with David that someone from his lineage would always be on the throne of Israel. What they thought was a human being and there were humans, but it was pointing to Jesus Christ when he returns and is king and king and lord of lords over every nation, every tribe, every tongue. He made that covenant, and even Moses. You remember Moses? He gets the Ten Commandments. They sprinkle, the word covenant means to cut. It means to cut, so some blood is shed, and so he sprinkles the blood on the, on the word that God made, the covenant, and he sprinkles the blood on the people, and then the, the, the covenant was enacted, the blessing was on it, but it's all pointing to something. Who's it pointing to? It's pointing to Jesus when he makes a covenant with you. And so that's why when we have communion, we remember the words of Jesus. Watch this, stay with me. You've got to be covered by covenant. 
Jesus said in Luke 22, 20, he says, likewise, he, Jesus, also took the cup after supper, saying, this cup, this cup is the new what, everybody? The new covenant in my blood, which is shed for you. It's interesting the word that Jesus used, and it's throughout the New Testament, the word diatheke, diatheke. And it, it's, it's the word used for covenant there, but here's what's interesting about that particular word. It is a legal term denoting a legally binding declaration of benefits to be given by one party to another with or without conditions attached. Let me explain that. See, there were times that people made covenants between each other. But what happens so many times is people would make covenant and say, okay, I have a lot of money, you got a lot of money. I got good kids, you got good kids. Let's get in covenant, and now what's yours is mine and what's mine is yours, but we both have something to give each other. When Jesus used that word, it was unilateral. It was one way. And what he's saying to Sam Reifkogel, you don't have anything. You are dead in your trespasses. You are headed for hell and destruction. You have nothing. I have everything. I just don't give life. I am life. You don't know love. I am love. So here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to take everything I have, God said, and I'm going to give it to you that have absolutely nothing. There is nothing you can do for me. There is nothing you can give me. You just have to say yes to this agreement. Amen. That's the word he used. So you say, well, what is it? Remember, it's, it's perimeters and promises. So he says, the reason you've got to know the benefits of the covenant. This is why I tell people, this is why every day you get in this word. Do you know why you get in this word? Because it's called the Old Testament and the what? Which means the Old Covenant and the New Covenant. This word right here tells me the legal document of every perimeter and every promise that God has for Sam Reifkogel for you and me. So every single person who believes and accepts Jesus Christ as the Savior and the sin bearer is a part of every benefit and every blessing that he has given us. That's why this is so important. But here's the catch. Are you ready for this? Here's the catch. You can be in covenant, but not under the covenant. See, a lot of times Israel was in relationship with God. They would give verbal assent to God. They would go through certain actions, but they were never under the covenant blessing. And Joshua's trying to say to them, some of you are in it, but you are not under it. All right, let me explain it. It's like this umbrella, okay? It's supposed to protect me from rain. When I get saved, I'm in it. If I go out into a rainstorm, a thunderstorm like this, I am in the covenant. 
But as long as it's closed and tucked away and not open and revealed, how many know I'm not covered? But if I open it, and some of you go, he's going to open up an umbrella in a closed room. Don't you know that's bad luck? <laughs> Don't be so superstitious. I'm not superstitious. I'm just a little stitious, right? <laughs> if it's raining, I'm under the covenant. I'm under the covenant, and it can be raining. If it's raining, the umbrella does not stop it from raining. This is not stopping it from raining. He says, you're not going to stop the influence of Satan in the world. But he says, if you stay under and align yourself under the covenant, it does stop it from raining on you when it's raining on everybody else. Because you're under the covenant. And that's what's happening with a lot of believers. We, we, we think God signs off and he blesses us and you, 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 you gave your heart to Jesus, you, you, you gave your testimony and, and you got water baptized, but you are not staying in the covenant. And many Christians live uncovered. Not because you don't have an umbrella. It's not because you don't have an umbrella. It's not because you don't have salvation. It's not because you didn't give your life to Jesus, but you are not covered because you are not operating underneath and align yourself with his perimeter and knowing his promises. You're like the guy that went on the beautiful cruise but packed crackers and peanut butter and stayed in his suite in his stateroom because he wanted to save money because he was going into retirement. So he's eating peanut butter and crackers. Finally, someone knocks on the door and says, we haven't seen you at dinner. We have got a five-star restaurant up here. We are serving prime rib, filet mignon. We have got the best food. We have got everything you want. What are you doing in here? He didn't realize that everything was already covered when he made the purchase and now he's eating crackers and peanut butter because he doesn't know. Can I tell you, some of you are still eating crackers and peanut butter in your marriages, in your relationships, in details of your life because you're not aligning yourself under the perimeters of what God said. Thank you. Just you and me, brother, but we're going to get it done. Amen. See, this is the thing that has always bothered me with the walk of some believers I watch, is people actually get saved. They're in covenant. They know the person of Jesus. They wept and cried. They're so, they're sincerely coming to salvation. They, they, they're in covenant with God. They have encountered the person of Jesus, but you have neglected the principles of Jesus. And then I see Christians get ticked off at unbelievers who have never given their life to Jesus, Watch this, never encounter Jesus, don't have salvation, but those people can practice principles of Jesus better than some Christians. They have ability to forgive, they have the ability to be generous to people and needs and things around, and they can be in prosperity because God trusts them because the principles do not change. The law of the harvest doesn't change. When you get your own planet, you can change it. But until then, you are on this planet and the laws of the harvest continue. If you're going to be a jerk and be born again and speak in tongues, you're going to be treated like a jerk speaking in tongues still. But if you're kind and you can be an unbeliever, you can still have people be kind to you because you're an unbeliever that's kind. The principles do not change. 
get under the covenant. Some of us are born again. You're a representation of Jesus. Just don't get in covenant. Stay under it. Be aligned under the perimeter of his word and his teachings and his blessings. That's the reason why you see Paul speak to the Galatians who should be doing better. And he says in Galatians 4.1, he says, Now I say, as long as the child, as the heir is a child, as long as the heir is a child, he does not differ at all from a slave, although he is the owner of everything. He's in the stateroom with his pasty tongue and the tongue stuck to the roof of his mouth with crackers and peanut butter, not knowing there's prime rib that is already paid for. Jesus already paid for it. Start understanding his principles, his blessings, but he says you can be owner of all these things of God, but because you behave immature in an immature fashion, you're no better off than some people who don't even know the Lord. Wow. Wow. So you mean that I could be born again and being immature about forgiving somebody? Exactly. You mean I could speak in tongues and prophesy, but be immature in how I treat my husband and still be like someone in an unbelieving relationship? Right. You mean I can, I can preach and prophesy, be a great preacher, and thousands of people come hear me preach and raise the dead, but if I'm immature on the scripture, on honoring and respecting and treating my wife like a, like a precious vessel? You, you mean I could be just like the unbeliever who's struggling because he doesn't know how to treat his wife? Exactly. Come on, everybody. How many believe it's time not just to know him, but it's time to know everything about him and every covenant blessing? That's what Joshua's trying to tell him. He said, come on, get under the blessing. Just don't be in the covenant and say, I know God. Get into what he's teaching you and telling you. This is why I'm telling you, go to the grow class. This is the reason why I say get in a small group. Keep developing. We're getting ready to have small groups start on September 14th. Start getting grow, mature, develop yourself in Jesus Christ so that you can have all the blessings of the cruise he already paid for. Amen, if you will. All right. So everybody say, covered by the covenant. Okay. Has anybody learned anything this morning? Amen? We're going to close with this. It's, it's, and it's not just about fix my spouse, fix my house. Start with me, Lord. Get me in your word so I can get under that blessing when it's fallen on everybody else. It's not falling on me because I stay aligned with what you're telling me in my money, my relationships, my family. Oh, this is good stuff. I'm getting blessed. Here's the second thing he says to me. He said, don't just stay covered and stay aligned with God. But he said, go clean out the closet. <clears throat> How many of you have one closet in your house that you pray to Jesus, your mother-in-law never opens. <laughs> You've got junk in there. You've kids, quick, quick, quick! She's coming. Throw it in there. Lock it, because you know there is stuff. So here's what Joshua says. He's saying to him, "God is no fool." Look what he says in verse 23. 
and it's all about me. Let's not talk about your husband. Let's not talk about your wife. Let's talk about your parents. Let's talk about you. And Joshua says this to us. He says in verse 23, you guys are going to say this? Okay. He says, all right then. Joshua said, destroy the, I better say destroy. There's an action. Destroy, you're talking. Now do something. Destroy the idols among you and turn your hearts to the Lord, the God of Israel. The people said to Joshua, we will serve the Lord our God. We will obey him alone. And what did he tell them to destroy? Idols. Idols. So when we hear the word idols, all of us are going, idols, well, I, don't, I don't have an idol. I'm a, you know, I, I, went to the, I went to this Asian restaurant and saw a little guy, a little fat guy with incense going on. I don't have one of those. See, we want to put it to those kind of things. Do you know how many times the word idol or idols is mentioned in the Bible? Have you ever checked? Do you know the word idols or idolatry? Do you know it's mentioned over 220 times throughout the Bible you hold in your hand? 220 times. Do you know it's mentioned more than sin? More than adultery? Do you know that? But idols are mentioned more than sin. And sometimes we want, to, we want to put it to some kind of an image. But do you know what an idol is? Idol worship is anything that takes focus off of God and puts it on someone or something else. And that someone can even be your own desires over God's. You worship yourself. So what, what do you mean idol? What, what, what is an idol? idol an idol is it's what gives you identity. It's something that really makes me who I am. It gives me meaning. This thing really gives me value. It gives me purpose. I, I feel love. I feel love. I feel, I, I feel love. I feel significance. I have a sense of security because I got all, I got all my 401k done. I got everything set. Everybody's college fund is set. So you have a sense of security. So you guard this thing. So when God talks to you to give up an idol, to go help someone, you don't want to because you don't want to mess with your sense of security. Or you don't want to challenge the dating relationship because it's requiring more of you that takes your focus off of God. Not, not that it's wrong to date, but you cannot love that thing more than the one who is love himself. So I, I don't know what that is for you or for me. I can tell you there are things through my life that I'm discovering. This is, was a good thing from God, but now this has become a, an idol to me. And you don't know, and I say this a lot, I, I say this a lot. I hope some of y'all catch it, but it's something I say all the time. You don't know how big of an idol it is in your life till God threatens it or takes it away from you. Take your money. Take something you love and you find out just how much you actually worship it more than him. It's not that it's not bad it's that now all of a sudden, this is what gives you your meaning, your identity. I have value. No, I feel value because he paid the whole bill on the cross and calls Sam, not just Sam, he calls him son. Because when those things are removed from you, when you find out he's really your focus, when you lose those things, you don't lose love, 
You don't lose security. You don't lose significance. You don't lose purpose because those things were not the purpose. They not the love. They were not the significance. He is the love. He is the purpose. He's the, and if all that goes away, I still am loved. I still have purpose. I still have security. I still have significance. Even if they walk out on me, I am not in a heap. So let's go back to when he said this. He says to them, so, so let's get idle. So, so let the Holy Spirit, now I know you're a distance away in your home, so it's easier to disconnect. But ask yourself, ask the Holy Spirit, what has truly gotten more focused than God? Ask him, and he'll tell you. He will tell you. He will show you. Now, it's important where, where Joshua said this. So when you read Joshua saying, you got to remember where he said it and to whom he is speaking, okay? Remember those things, where and to who he's speaking. So in verse 25, I told you early to circle it, the word Shechem. Why did he say this to them at Shechem? What you have to do is go back to Genesis 35 to find out why he said Shechem, because this is a general generational thing that you have to watch in every generation. Because in Ch Genesis 35, Jacob had to go tell his people as he was following God. Jacob told them at, she at Shechem, which was an ancient shrine, he told them to get rid of all your foreign go gods that you have harbored as members of your household. And he says, put them away. He is repeating Jacob at the same place that he told his family, we are not moving forward until we get rid of the foreign gods. Now, let me put these foreign gods into perspective. These were not big idols they toted on carts. The foreign gods that Jacob was talking about were these portable gods that you could hide in a pocket and no one would even know they were there. Most of the idols, nobody knows they're there. They're portable, easy to hide. You can tuck them into a mobile device and no one knows. So that's where he's saying it. I always got to keep asking God, show me. I don't care how spiritually mature I how intellectual or how deep spiritually you think you are. You got to keep asking the question and keep putting them away because they're sneaky. They're real sneaky. And then you got to ask, who's he talking to? Who's he talking to? Well, he's talking to those heathens out there. That's who he's talking to. No, who he's talking to are his elite leadership, the highest ranking leaders that's working with him. And the word suggests that someone has observed these people leading, actually worshiping. It could be someone on a platform, someone leading a small group, someone in leadership, and someone has observed you doing this. So he's saying to them, get rid of them. And he's talking to the people. Some people say, well, I'm at church, man, don't pick on me. He was saying, I'm talking to you because most of us don't recognize when a portable, easy to hide idol starts getting in our life. Here's what, here's what Joshua knew. He knew if Satan cannot have you, he will have you. Because he knows that if Satan has half of you, then he really possesses all of you. If God only has half of you, he has absolutely none of you. He said, put it all away and do it forever. 
And here's what's so freaky about this thing. The conclusion of this scene where Joshua's having this interaction with people, there's a strangely unsatisfying outcome here. Did you notice that no one gathered up the idols? There is no record of people gathering them. There is no record of their destruction. None. Don't you think there would be this big victory dance? Gathering them, destroying them. What the people simply did, those who were even the most spiritual among him at times, they simply made a confession of our intended loyalty to God once more. And Joshua makes an ordinance with him. He makes a covenant with him. Maybe Joshua realized that while he can be a leader and he can be an example to his people, he cannot be their spiritual conscience or their spiritual nursemaid. That it starts with me, me and God. And yes, God uses pastors and he uses parents and he uses small group leaders and he uses friends in your group that have the courage to protect you. But he says, really, God has to come to a place where you're saying, God, would you deal with me in the private place, in the secret place, where no one else can see the idols, the things tucked away that you've been having conversations with me about, and it started out good, it started out right, it was actually a blessing from you, but actually it's gotten my focus off of who you are and gotten my focus on that individual or that thing. Why? Because if Satan cannot have you, he will have you. The truth is, is I can leave this church, but each one of you, even tucked away, far away, thousands of miles away from the church, you have to decide if you're going to follow and honor God first and most. I can't do it for you. Young people, you got to make a decision. Mama can't do it. Daddy can't do it. Papa might have been great, a slim be a God preacher. Slim be God, simple as a God. We come from the great line of the assemblies of God. Slimbies of God. We called it Slimbies of God. Because we had neon signs back when I was a kid. And the A was burnt out. So his kids always named it Assembly God, not Assembly of God. And the pastor would always pray that the letters would burn out in the right order because it could get really bad. didn't have enough money to pay for that thing. <laughs> Young people, you can challenge everything you want in the Bible. You can sit there and have discussions all you want. You can talk about what culturally people think is acceptable, but here's the bottom line. You got to make a decision what you're going to do. I can't be your nursemaid. Get in the perimeters of God, see his promises and align yourself under them and watch God give you favor like you've never ever experienced in your life. Doesn't mean the rain won't fall. It means the rain won't destroy your faith and your confidence in Jesus Christ. Businessman, I'm sorry, but pastor can't hold your hand to see if you're being honest when you're working that book. I can't be there when it's filling out the IRS form. 
I can't be there with how you treat a server at a restaurant. You gotta make a decision. You gotta make a choice, ma'am. I can't sit there and make a decision for you. You can't make a decision. Pastor Sam has to make his decision. My wife can't make that. I gotta make the decision. And here's what I'm making the decision to do. Why don't you say it with me? But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Can you give him praise today? Amen. We're going to serve him. Mom and daddy, I know you got teenagers. I know some of you got kids. Some of you grandmas and grandpas can influence at a different level. I know it changes, but you need to influence. Just like Joshua wanted to influence. I know some people say, well, if I make my kids come to church, pastor, well, I'm afraid that I'm going to drive them to church because I make them go to church with me. No, as long as they're living in your house and you are paying their bills, they're eating your food. Hey, kids, we're going to go to church. We're going to go to the house of God. You say, well, I'm afraid I'm going to drive them away from church. Well, here's what I discovered. I didn't have to, I, I, making my kids eat didn't, didn't drive them away from eating. And making them take a bath did not make them hate baths. They may have hated them for a while, but when he was, you know, when your seventh graders start stinking and girls don't want to hang around them, they start figuring out, I need some deodorant. Give me some Axe right now, please. <laughs> Bathe in it. Don't be afraid. As for me and my house, we're going to serve the Lord. My kids had to make their own decision. But as for Sam Rifko, my wife has to make her decision. But as for Sam Rifko, I'm staying underneath and aligned with him, and he's going to deal with every idol in my life because I want his favor. It's even coming to serving Jesus. Do you want to serve him today? You say, well, I don't think I can make a decision today. Guess what? You just did. Well, I just don't want to make a decision. I feel pressure. You just made one. Well, you're too high pressure. I know. We're running out of time. Your soul is too important for me to waste time. I don't know what's going to happen once you walk out this building. I have a clue. I don't know what's going to happen the next moment. Why don't I make a decision? You did. This morning, the alarm clock went off. And you say, I don't know if I want to get up. Hit the snooze. You just made a decision. <laughs> and Joshua saying to them, come on, just choose. Choose. Go all out with God. You will never regret it. Go all out with God. I've had God and haven't had God, but I'm going to tell you, it's better to have him than to walk away from him. Come on, can anybody say amen to that today? I'd rather have Jesus. Well, many things.